Would you please stand with me for the reading of the word? This morning's passage is from Acts chapter 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Please say it with me. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I first became a Christian, I was 10 years old. And the only reason I'd done it because the rest of the kids was doing it. I didn't know why I was doing it. And then approximately 20, 21 years ago, Phil Edwards was baptizing 13 people, 12 people at the lake. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, would you rebaptize me? He said, I sure would. He said, get the stuff out of your pockets. Give them to Mary and get over and I'll baptize you too. And when I come up out of the water that time, I had an entirely different feeling than I'd ever had coming up out of the water. And I think, uh, I think the good Lord touched me very strongly right then. And he's been touching me very strongly since. I quit smoking and then I quit drinking and I was smoking four packs of cigarettes in 92 when I quit. And I said, I'm done, I'm done. I didn't have to use all the patches and stuff. The good Lord and the Holy Spirit helped me go right on through. When you've been on the other side of the fence, like me and some of my friends have been, and then you get converted over, it, it's, it's, a whole different, it's a whole different deal. And it makes you happy, and it makes you look up to the good Lord more and more every day. My wife today has been exceptionally strong in a Christianity and trying to help me become a better Christian every day. It's just, it's just wonderful to have a good Christian wife. Amen. It's been great just to uh, see these testimonies every Sunday morning and see how God's working the lives of the other people in this church. Um, it's just so good to be with you here this morning. Um, even though that Pastor Brian is back, the uh, church board has still asked that we preachers here on staff um, continue to um, kind of uh, preach on Sunday mornings every once in a while. So you'll be seeing us up here um, every once in a while preaching. And I think I could speak for all of us. It's always just a, a joy to be able to come and share the message that God's laid on our heart um, here on Sunday morning. So um, once again, it's just great to be with you. Um, over the past, oh my goodness. There might have been a reason that was sitting in the back. We'll get through it. All right. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've been going through a sermon series entitled Transform. Transform. And we've been uh, talking about how when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, lives are changed. When the Holy Spirit comes on the scene and he gets involved, change occurs. Good things happen. He always makes a difference. And as I, as I was thinking about this sermon series, I had a conversation with someone last week. And we were talking about, we came to the conclusion that 
that all of the, the Nazarene doctrine, all of the Wesleyan theology that we believe, and, and even if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, all of the Christian doctrine that we come to believe, none of it could be possible without the work of the Holy Spirit. If we do not have the Holy Spirit, we cannot believe any, anything else that we believe. The Holy Spirit's work and his power is absolutely necessary and vital to our Christian walk. You could not have known Christ when you first came to believe if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. You could not have known Christ if it wasn't for his prevenient grace that that convicted you of your sin and allowed you to turn from your sin to God. That's the Holy Spirit at work. And when you ask God to be the center of your life, you couldn't have been born again Christian without the work of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit this morning. If you believe that, say amen. We need the Holy Spirit So if it's okay with you, I'm going to preach on the Holy Spirit this morning. Is that okay? All right, we're going to preach, we're going to listen, we're going to dig into the Word, and we're going to find out more about the Holy Spirit. So this morning we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 10. So if you want to go ahead and flip there at Acts chapter 10, or if you want to scroll there if you're on your phone, um, get to Acts chapter 10. We're going to be reading that scripture, so you're going to want to be there. Um, Last week we talked about Pentecost. We talked about the day of Pentecost, and this Sunday, today, is actually Pentecost Sunday. It's the Sunday that we celebrate the day that the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in the upper room and he, he allowed them to speak and in, in, in in hear in their own language. And it was this, it was this uh, moment where the Holy Spirit was poured out in a powerful, powerful way. And we celebrate that today on Pentecost Sunday. And it was after that amazing day of Pentecost that the people of God, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began serving one another. They began eating together and teaching together. They sold all of their possessions and they gave them to the poor. And day after day after day, Scripture tells us that people were continuing, continuing to be added to their number. And it's after this that different miracles occur in Scripture. Messages are preached. And we read about how Peter and John were brought before uh, the Sanhedrin. And they're questioned about their beliefs in the gospel. And they're questioned about Jesus Christ. But Scripture tells us that Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he preached the gospel to these like pious Jews who didn't really um, believe in Christ. And they ended up letting them go. But it was after this interrogation, the Sanhedrin, that, that Christianity under, underwent uh, severe persecution. Things began to grow increasingly difficult for them. Um, because they were preaching truth, Christians began to be arrested and questioned just like Peter and John. Um, but it got worse. We hear about Stephen, and Stephen was actually stoned to death for his beliefs. And because of all this persecution, we hear that the believers became scattered. And then we hear about this guy named Saul, and he's evil, and he's powerful, and he's killing and persecuting Christians right and left. But despite the danger that came along with Christ's gospel, it was still being taught, it was still being preached, and lives were still continuing to be changed by Christ's gospel in the book of Acts. And scripture diverts, it talks about Saul's conversion and how God changed his life, and we're going to talk about that again next week. But it kind of diverts from that story, and we move on, we hear more about what Paul's doing in the midst of all this. Where is Paul at? Uh, or sorry, we hear more about Peter. Where's Peter at in the midst of all this? So we're talking about Peter this morning. That's where we find him in Acts 10. You know Peter, he walked with Jesus. He was there when Jesus performed miracles and when Jesus taught. Uh, Peter was the one who, who denied Jesus three times before Jesus was crucified. But here in Acts, we see Peter in a new light. Where once Peter was walking with Jesus and Jesus was doing the preaching and Jesus was doing the teaching and Jesus was doing the miracles and raising people from the dead. Now it's Peter 
and he's doing all the, those things. It's almost as if the student has now become the teacher. Now Peter's the one raising people from the dead. He's the one performing miracles. He's the one preaching and teaching. And that's where we find Peter in this, in this passage we're going to be looking at today. So if you'll read with me, we're going to start in chapter uh, 10, verse 1. And it says this, In Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So we know that when someone is a centurion, uh, like uh, Cornelius was, that he would have been in charge of 100 men. He would have been successful. He would have been well-respected. But what was the heart of Cornelius like? Like, what kind of man was he at his core? Well, well Scripture tells us that if you look at verse 2. It says this, He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So we find out that, you know what, Cornelius, he's a pretty good guy. Like, he's a devoted God follower. He's a prayerful man. And, and because of this, it says that his whole family fell in his footsteps. They were all God-fearing people. And I want to kind of take an aside here and, and just let you know that, like, as moms and dads and husbands and wives, we, like Cornelius, we have to start taking responsibility for the spirituality of our families. Amen? Just like Cornelius, he was devoted, he was a prayerful man, he was, he was always in the word, he was praying a lot. And because of his influence and his spirituality, it overflowed into his family. Like I, as a husband, I am responsible for the spiritual life of my wife. I have, I have to take responsibility for that. I have to push her to be, more, to be more like Christ. I have to help her engage in spiritual practices that would push her to be a better Christ follower. And, I, I, and she does the same for me. And, and parents, like we have to put practices in place for our families to get them into the word. We have to put them in Christian environments where we know that we'll promote growth in their spiritual lives. Like we as husbands and wives and moms and dads, we have to take responsibility for the spiritual lives of our families. But that, that may not mean that one of our kids move out of the house, that they're definitely 100% going to be good Christians. But we have to give them the best shot at, at success that we possibly, possibly can before they get out of the house. And that starts with us. That starts with our spirituality. We have to make sure that we're engaging in these practices. We have to make sure that we're devoted, we're God-fearing, and we're praying regularly, and we're in the Word. And that we can give our families the best chance at spiritual success possible. And that was just extra credit. That was kind of the sermon within a sermon. So we're going to move on. So let's look at, look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this. One day, at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon. Who is called Peter? He is staying with Simon the Tanner, who lives whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius had called two of his servants and a devout uh, a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So we're going to stop there. We're going to skip to the next day, and we're going to look at what Peter's doing. This is around noon the next day, as they were on their journey, Cornelius's people, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down on earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. 
And the voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. So here we see Peter, and he has this amazing vision while he's praying. And these guys that were sent by Cornelius, they show up. They explain to Peter why they're there. They explain to Peter who their master is. And they say, why don't you come back and meet Cornelius yourself? Come back with us. So Peter agrees, and he goes with them. So let's skip down to verse 25. What happens? As Peter enters the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. And a Gentile just means someone who's not Jewish. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Then, and then we skip down to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So here for the first time, we kind of get a glimpse of what Peter's vision meant. It meant that God's work and his gospel was not just meant for the Jews, but it was also meant for the Gentiles. When God says in his vision, do not call anything impure that God has made clean, he's saying that the power of Christ's death and resurrection wasn't just meant for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. And that should give us hope today as a church filled with Gentiles, right? We should find hope in that, that the gospel is for us too. So Peter begins to speak, he continues to speak, and he essentially preaches the gospel to this room of Gentiles, and he tells them all about what's happened since Christ's death and resurrection. And then all of a sudden, Scripture says this. It says, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized by water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter with him to stay with him for a few days. So it's here in scripture that we kind of see what looks to be a second Pentecost occurring. But this time it's not Jews up in an upper room like the apostles were. This time it's a room that's filled with Gentiles. Once again, the Holy Spirit's falling on people and they're speaking different languages. People are saved. People are being baptized. Lives are changed because the Holy Spirit came on the scene in Cornelius' household that day. And we shouldn't just look at this passage of scripture like a happy story that happened back then and that's great that it happened for the early church but this passage should give us hope today that it's that same holy spirit that came to the apostles in the upper room and and, and had them speak different languages and understand one another and it's that same spirit that came in cornelius's household to the gentiles that came on them in a powerful power way it's that same holy spirit that wants to work in our lives and enable the church today that's the same Holy Spirit that we praise and lift up in this place, even now, today, thanks be to God. That's the Holy Spirit that we're talking about. So we're going to be peering into this passage, and we're, I want you to notice three things. The first thing is that we need to begin to seek the Holy Spirit. When something like this happens in Scripture, this big outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I think it's important that we look at what happened before. 
Like, what was the catalyst for this huge event that happened in Cornelius' household? Why was this, why did this occur? What happened before? Well, let's look at Cornelius' side. What was he doing before all this happened? If we look at scripture, it says that Cornelius was devout and God-fearing, that he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And it says in scripture that it was, it was that one day around three o'clock in the afternoon, and it's around three o'clock that usually they gave the sacrifice in the temple. And then around three in the clock in the afternoon, a lot of people would have been praying at that time because the sacrifice was occurring. So it's believed that Cornelius, while he was praying at three o'clock in the afternoon, is when he has this initial vision that sparks the event that happened in his household when Peter comes. It's while he was, it's after he was praying. It's when Cornelius was on his knees, when he was abiding with God, when he was seeking God, that's when the Lord sends the angel in a vision. That's what sparks the events of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was when he was seeking God. So that's one side of the coin. What about the other side? What's Peter doing? What does scripture say? Look at verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So we see the parallel here between there are two sides of the story. Just before Cornelius saw this vision, he was, uh, he was praying uh, to God, and that, that led to the events of the second Pentecost. And just before Peter had this vision that led to the second Pentecost, he was also praying. They were both on their knees seeking God, and that led to the second Pentecost, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit to occur. And what this should tell you and should tell me as readers of this text is that if we want to experience a great movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives, if we want him to fill us and change us and mold us and sanctify us, if we want that, we have to begin spending time in his presence. We have to spend time in prayer and time in scripture. We have to abide with him and seek, with him, seek him if we really want the Holy Spirit to begin working in our lives. But I think that too often we make the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit that he gives us, I think we make that just kind of a one-sided transaction. I think a lot of times we kind of live our lives and we kind of ignore God and, and we kind of forget about him most of the time and we only ask him if, for a fruit of the Spirit if we need it. Like, like we forget about him, we don't really spend that much time with him and then we're like, God, I really need patience today. Can you give me patience? Or God, I really need you to help me through this job interview. Can you just give me wisdom, Lord? And we just ask those simple prayers and even though we haven't spent any time with him beforehand, we've kind of forgotten up until now, we approach him now and we, we ask him for that, and we almost expect him just to kind of dispense it and give it to us. That way we can take it and turn back and go about our business and forget about him once more. A lot of the times, that's how we look at God. But that's not scriptural. We have work to do. We have to work to seek God and his will and his purpose. We have to spend time in his word and time in his scripture. We have to abide with him and seek him if we really want to experience the powerful, powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I like to think of it like this. I think a lot of times we treat God like a vending machine. I have a picture. Like a lot of times this is how we treat God. Like you don't spend time with a vending machine. You don't necessarily probably have one in your house. You don't walk around with a vending machine with you all the time. But what do you do? Whenever you need something for a vending machine, you go up to it, you push the button, you get what it gives you, and then you leave and you forget about the vending machine. A lot of times this is how we spend, treat God. Like the buttons on the vending machine are almost like the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and we forget about God, and we come to God, and we're like, hey, God, uh, you know, the kids are out for the summer. I'm going to need some patience. So then you hit the patience button, and we expect him to just kind of dispense it, and we can go about our business and forget about him. But that's not the relationship that God desires of us. This isn't how he wants us to be in relationship 
with him. He wants us to be in prayer with him and seeking and abiding. That's the only way that this catalyst can be planted for the Holy Spirit to fall on our lives. It was when Peter and Cornelius got down on their knees daily in the presence of God that the Spirit was able to fall. We've made the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit too transactional. We've forgotten that it takes time. It takes spending time in his presence and abiding with him and seeking with him and trusting him. Right, that, he, that it's then, after we've abided with him, that he's going to abide with us. And he's going to go with us into our lives. And he'll give us the wisdom we need. And he'll give us the patience we need. And he'll give us right when we need, right when we need it. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But it means that we have to seek him first. Not only do we need to seek the Holy Spirit, but scripture says that we should also receive the Holy Spirit. And what's so crucial about this passage, and what, what makes this passage so meaningful is that it was a monumental breakthrough in the Jewish mindset. For the Jews at this time, see, they saw the Gentiles, they saw any non-Jewish people as no more than animals. They saw them as vermin. They, they, they thought they were unclean. They thought they were unfit to be people of God. That's how they saw the Gentiles at the time. But all of a sudden, with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they realized that the death and resurrection of Christ was also for the Gentiles, that the gospel speaks to them as well. And we see here that this vision that God gives Peter where the sheets brought down to earth and filled with every kind of animal, when he says, do not call anything unclean that I have made clean, we see that the Holy Spirit was a gift not just for the Jews, but for all people. And that's the same, the same is true for us today. The Holy Spirit is meant for all of us. It's meant for all people. And not only is God extending this to us, but it's God's will that you receive it. Pastor Brian talked about it before, and this verse just proves it, that it's God's desire that you be filled with his Holy Spirit. He wants to help. He wants to fill you and mold you and change you. He wants to come alongside you in the midst of your circumstances. He wants to sanctify you. Like, that's God's wish for you. He wants that for you. That's good news. The Holy Spirit's not just something that's given to pastors. Like, the Holy Spirit's not just something that's given to people if you've been a Christian for 50 years, then the Holy Spirit's imparted upon you. It's not just given to people who only if they have it all together, once they have all their stuff together, then God will give you the Holy Spirit, but you gotta get a lot of things figured out first. That's not what scripture tells us. It's that God wants to fill each and every one of us with his spirit. He wants to mold you. That's God's wish for you. It's not just extended to pastors. God wants to impart his Holy Spirit freely. I think that sometimes, I think that each of us has that one person in our life, or maybe two or three people, that one person that we can think of, like if anybody is filled with the Holy Spirit, it's this person. Like think of that person right now. Like if there's anybody who is living a spirit-filled life, it's this person. You know, it's my grandpa, it's my grandma, it's my mom, my dad. Whoever that is, whoever that person is in your life who's like, if they have the Spirit, if anybody has the Spirit, it's them. I want you to think of that person. Because I think that too often we can look at spirit-filled people in our lives and we look at them and we're like man like I wish I had what they had I wish I could live like that I wish I had what they had but I'm just not quite on their level like they're a, they're like a super Christian they go to church every time the doors are open they spend hours in prayer every week they know a ton about the Bible and I could never be like that person they're like the superstars of the faith they're so filled with the Holy Spirit they're super ultra godly and we almost tend to have the same reaction with those types of people that Peter had, or that Cornelius had with Peter. What does it say? Verse 25, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. 
Peter walks into Cornelius' house, and Cornelius' initial reaction is to fall at his feet, to bow down. And while we, we not, we, while we may not bow down at those people's feet, we hold them above ourselves. We hold them in high regard. And the way that we see it is that these spiritual superstars that we know about, they have something that, man, we just can't possess. There's something different about those people. I can't be like that. But look at what Peter's response is to Cornelius. What does he say? Verse 26, he says, stand up. He says, I am only a man myself. He says, I'm only a man. And what Peter says here is like, I'm only human. There's nothing, there's nothing special about me. The miracles, the raising of that woman from the dead, the Pentecost, the teaching, the preaching, none of it has come from me. I'm only a human. That's what Peter is saying. None of that's come from me. And the same is true for us and for those Christian superhumans that we hold in such high regard, those people in our lives. They are only human. There's nothing special about them, and they would be the first to probably tell you that. There's nothing special about them. The only difference is, is that those people have had a willingness and a humility and an openness to abide with Christ and, and allow, him to be fill, allow him to fill them and change them and mold them. And if they can do that, so can you. Look at what Peter says in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God's spirit is given freely without favoritism this morning. Just like how God showed in Acts 10 that he doesn't play favorites with the Jews, but the spirit is also for the Gentiles. The same is true for us. God is ready to impart his spirit on each and every one of us without favoritism. His will for you is that you would accept that spirit and be filled with his spirit. That you would seek him and abide with him. We just need to receive God's spirit. That's God's will. As I, I was, as I was preparing for this sermon, as I was thinking about these people who are spiritually successful in our lives, I thought about the way that they become spiritually successful is so different from how, what worldly successful people do to become successful. So I have a couple of statistics for you, some, some small just uh, snippets. So you know Kobe Bryant, he's the Lakers basketball star. He continued to change his shooting technique rather than take time off when he got, had injuries like dislocated fingers and broken fingers. He just changed how he played. He never took time off. Michael Jordan spent his off-seasons taking hundreds of jump shots every day. Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz would continue to work from home after putting in 13-hour work days. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban didn't take a vacation for seven years while starting his first business. Apple CEO Tim Cook routinely begins emailing employees at 4.30 in the morning. How would you like to get an uh, email from your employer at 4.30 in the morning? be bad. Venus and Serena Williams, women tennis Grand Slam title winners, have been getting up at 6 a.m. since they were seven and eight years old to play tennis. And these, like, are successful people, and a lot of their names you may have even heard. Like, these guys are really successful, and they've worked, but they've worked really, really hard to get where they are. And we tend to put them up on a pedestal because there's something special about these people. Like, they're super successful. But the fact of the matter is, is that these people are just normal humans, they're just normal, everyday people, but they worked really, 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 really hard to get where they are. And if you think about that, the opposite is true for our success in our spiritual lives. These spiritual superstars in our lives that we put up on pedestals that we feel like we could never be as filled with the Holy Spirit as they are, they didn't get to that place because they worked really hard. They did not get filled with the Holy Spirit because they worked really hard. They didn't get to that place because they tried so hard to be holy and they finally got it right. 
That's not how they got there. When it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit and being sanctified by his presence, it's not how hard that we work, it's how humble that we are. And when it comes to being filled with the Spirit, it's not about how hard we work, it's about how much time we spend in God's presence and in his word. We don't have to read hundreds of books on theology. You don't have to know the Bible backwards and forwards. You don't have to go to seminary for four years. Well, all those things are good and those are fine. That's not how you become filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not how much you know or how hard you work. God says, just come to me with a spirit of humility. Come to me with an openness. Come to me with a desire to know me more. Come to me with a willingness to be changed by my Holy Spirit and watch what I can do. It's not by our hard works or our book smarts. Scripture tells us it's by grace through faith that we have been saved. It's by grace that you can be sanctified this morning. What does that mean? It means it's nothing that you can do. It's not your work. It's not how hard you work. It's a gift. It's grace. That's how we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from God. It's his desire for you. Peter and Cornelius in this scripture, they humbled themselves before God. They sought him. They got down on their knees in return, God graced them with his spirit. Church, we've been getting too good at making excuses. We look at these spirit-filled people in our lives and we're just like, well, I'm, just, I'm not good enough. Like, I don't have it all together. I'm not smart enough. I don't know the Bible enough. I'm not patient enough or loving enough. I couldn't be like these spiritually successful people. But God's just like, would you just stop for a minute? Just stop making excuses. Just get down on your knees. Humble yourself before me. And just let me do it. He's saying, just let me fill you with my spirit. That's all I ask. It's not anything you can do. I just want to fill you with my spirit openly and freely this morning. But you have to humble yourself before me before you can receive it. Not only should we seek the spirit and and receive the spirit, but we also need to realize our need for the spirit. Look at this man, Cornelius. What does scripture say about about him? Verse 2, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And a little little later on in verse 22, it says, Cornelius was a righteous man and God-fearing man who was respected by all the Jewish Jewish people. And if we look at these verses, like, you're kind of like, well, it seems like Cornelius kind of had it all together. Like, he sounds like a pretty good guy. He prays a lot. He's a devout God follower. He gives generously. And if we're all honest, maybe we're like, man, I wish I kind of looked more like Cornelius. He seems to have it all figured out. But the truth of the matter is, there was still a hunger in Cornelius' heart. There was, he desired something more. He wanted to take the next step in his relationship with God. And the truth is that even though it seems like Cornelius was doing everything right, and it seems like he had it all together, God still had more in store for Cornelius. He wasn't finished It wasn't until the end of Acts 10 that we see what that something is. It's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God so desperately wanted to give Cornelius. And I think that we can all glean something from this fact. That no matter how good of a Christian that you are, no matter how many times you come to church, no matter if you wake up every morning and do your devotions, if you have not received the sanctifying and freeing gift of God's Holy Spirit, God is calling out to you today. He's saying, I have something more for you. I'm not finished with you. I have more that I want to give you. And if you haven't been a Christian that long, maybe you're you're new to the faith and you're still trying to figure a lot of things out. You're still striving to follow God and you're asking him to reveal his plan, but you're pretty early in your relationship with God. Maybe that's you today. Even to you, God is saying, let me help you. 
Let me come to me. Let me fill you with my spirit. Let me fill you with my sanctifying power. Let me sanctify you through and through. I'm so glad that you're a part of my family and I was able to adopt you in, but I have so much more I want to do in your life. I want to fill you and clean you and change you for the better. Are you going to let God do that this morning? God may be calling you into the next step of your relationship with him. After we have been saved, like so many of us in this room have, after we've been born again and into a new life with Christ, our perspective changes. We realize that Christ kind of fills this hole that we had been so longing for. Like James puts it, James says, like, there's a, there was a spirit inside of me that so yearned for God. Like, there was this spirit inside of me that was just so desperately aching for something that was beyond myself. And he realized that it was Christ. It's a relationship with Christ. And when we come to believe, Scripture tells us that we're justified, that God delivers us of our sins. He washes that sin away and he forgives us. Scripture tells us that if we believe in him, make him rule of our life, we repent of our sins, God regenerates us. We're born again. That's what that means. And our perspective and our outlook changes. Our minds are renewed and Christ is at the center. And that's great. And if you haven't made that decision this morning, I pray that today is the day that you do. And we have pastors that would love to pray with you and and we have uh, resources we'd love to give you if you want to make that decision for Christ today. We'd love to help you with that. And, we, and I invite you to come this morning and allow us to pray with you. But many of us here have already taken that first step. You've asked Christ to be Lord of your life. You've been justified. You've been regenerated, forgiven, and born again. The Holy Spirit is already working in you. But maybe you've been trying your hardest to live a Christ-like life. You know God calls you to be patient. You know God calls you to be kind and to love other people. So you've been living your life, and you've kind of been gritting your teeth, really trying to love like Jesus loved. You've been gritting your teeth, really trying to be Christ-like, but you keep on falling short again and again. Maybe sin has its hold on you, and there's addictions in your life that you just can't seem to get back over, and you keep falling into that trap over and over again. You keep falling back into impatience and envy and jealousy, and you're like, man, I know I've been born again. I know God saved me, but I just can't. I, I just really trying to be Christ-like. I just can't seem to get there. If that sounds like you, if, if you're tired of trying to love and be patient and be kind and all of that on your own strength, if you're sick of trying to be Christ-like but falling into those same sins and addictions and struggles again and again, if you really want to be made into the image of Christ but you keep falling up short, I have good news for you today. God has something more for you. This isn't where he intended the relationship to end. He has something more. Look at this verse in 1 Peter. It says this, Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Christ Jesus is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Maybe that sounds like you this morning. You don't know any better, you didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God chose you to be holy, chose you as holy. For scripture says, You must be holy because I am holy. God never intended for us to live a life of Christ-likeness on our own strength. God calls us to a life of holiness, but not by us but by his spirit. And the only way that we can live a true life of Christian holiness that God is calling us to live, the only way that we can be Christ-like, the only way we're able to live a life that's really, truly of the fruit of the spirit, patience and love and kindness and goodness and all those things, the only way we're able to live the life that God has called us to live is not by our strength, but is to be filled with the power of his Holy Spirit. It's the only way. 
It's coming and kneeling at God's feet in humility and saying, God, I don't have the strength. I cannot do this on my own. You've saved me from my sins. You've forgiven me, and I'm living my life for you. But every time I try to be like you, I keep falling up short. God is saying to you that I have something more for you. I want to fill you with my spirit. It's when we come and humble ourselves before God, he will fill us to overflowing with his Holy Spirit. He will cleanse every sin and we will renew our hearts and minds. Because this is what we call in the Nazarene Church entire sanctification. It's being completely and wonderfully filled with God's Spirit and allowing Him to cleanse all sin and so that you can be wholly devoted to Him and His will and being filled with His perfect love. God is saying, right now you're trying to be like me, but you're, you're not quite getting it. You're trying it on your own strength. Why don't you let me baptize you with my Spirit? Rather than you trying on your own strength just to look like me, why don't you let me fill you with me? Let me fill you with my spirit. After you have abided with me, allow me to abide with you. Rather than trying to come up with patience on your own, allow me by the power of my spirit to provide the patience. Will you come and humble yourself before me and allow me to fill you completely? I think I have an illustration that I want to use to help us kind of understand this fact um, as many of you know, uh, Annie and I bought our first house a couple of months ago, and uh, you know that with a new house comes a lot of new responsibilities, <clears throat> um, one of which is mowing the lawn, and I haven't had to mow my lawn in like five years because I've been at college and had an apartment, so it's been a while since I've mowed the lawn, um, but I realized I had to mow the lawn of my house, so I borrowed my parents' lawnmower, I brought over the house, I mowed the whole lawn, it took me about 45 minutes, and after I finished, I got looking around and I was like, there's a lot of spots I missed. Like there's like, uh, there's like tall grass around the fence. There's like those hard to reach areas. I was like, I need a weed eater. That's what I need to get all this leftover tall grass. And I didn't have one. So I hopped in the car and I went over to Lowe's. And I went down, I guess, the weed eater aisle. And I found a weed eater. And I got it and I picked it up and I bought it and I took it home. And I unboxed it and I was so excited. It was like Christmas. I unboxed my new weed eater ready to get back to work and finish the yard work. And so I got my weeder, and this is it. I'm pretty proud of it. That's why I brought it to, brought it to church this morning. Hope you like it. I, I highly recommend it. Um, <clears throat> but this was the weed eater I bought. And so I got to work weed eating my lawn. And it wasn't until I put the battery pack in and I started it up that I realized for a six foot five guy, this weed eater is really short. So I began weed eating my lawn. I was going around the fence you know, the whole, like, like a whole fence all around, all the hard to reach areas, up and down my driveway, and my neighbor's out, and he's kind of looking at me weird, because I'm like sweating, and my back's aching, and I'm just trying to finish weeding, because this thing's so short. Like, man, I was getting so frustrated. Like, I was getting so angry, because this weeded is so short, and my back was hurting. I was growing, growing so angry, and by the time I was finished, I see someone taking a picture back there. I don't know who that was. I got my eyes on you, though. I saw that flash. Don't think I didn't see that. Anyways, um, I can sign that for you after if you want. So <clears throat> it wasn't until afterwards I was so frustrated. And my back was breaking and I was sweating. I was so angry. I was like, man, like, should I take this thing back? I can't do this every week. So like, should I take this back? Should I write a review online and say, if you are under six feet, this is the perfect weed eater for you. But otherwise, do not buy this weed eater. I didn't know what to do. So I was like, well, I don't know. I guess I'll just worry about it next week. So I took the weed eater, and I went back to my shed, and I threw it in there. And it was while, while I was throwing this weed eater in, I realized this little clip right here. (laughs) 
<clears throat> you thought I was mad before. <clears throat> I realized, look how tall this thing is. This is so much easier to weed eat this way. Like, this is what it's all about. I can do this every week. This is great. And as, as I thought about that, I thought about the fact that so many of us in our spiritual lives, maybe, there we go, so many of us in our spiritual lives, we're living our lives down here. So many of us, we're bent over, we're breaking our backs, we're sweating, we're aching, we're going, growing so frustrated because we're living our lives bent over backwards, trying to live a Christ-like life, trying to have love, trying to have patience, trying to have joy, but we keep falling up short. Those same sins and addictions keep falling back into our lives. We're like, God, like you saved me. I'm trying. Look at me. I'm really trying. See the sweat on my face like my back's killing me. I'm really trying to live the life you've called me to do. But God is saying, that's not what I intended He's saying, why don't you let me fill you with my spirit? Why don't you let me come and humble yourself before me so I can transform you into the image of Christ? Look how much easier that is when you're not living off your own strength, but you're living off my own my strength. Look how easier it is to love when you're filled with my perfect love. You're not breaking your back anymore. You're not frustrated. Instead, you're filled with me and my presence because you came and you abided with me and you humbled yourself before me. It's so much easier that way. And when I thought about that, I thought about like black and, oh, it's craftsmen. I thought it was black and decker this whole time. That's why I have my notes. It's craftsmen, like when they made this weed eater, they never intended for someone to begin weed eating like this. That was not their intention when they made this weed eater. But as I thought about that, I was like, that wasn't craftsmen's intention to make the weed eater that short and for people to use it like that. But it's also not God's intention for us to live our lives on our own. It's not God's intention for us to love on our own, to be Christ-like on our own. That's not how God made us. That's not how we were intended to live. Too many of us are living outside the way that God intended it because we're living our lives bent over, breaking our backs, really trying to live Christ-like lives that we were never intended to live void of his Holy Spirit. God intended us to live a life of holiness only by connection to him. He intended us to live a life of holiness, only being filled with his Holy Spirit, transformed by his Spirit. That's what God wants for each and every one of us by his grace. It's a gift that's freely given, without favoritism, to each and every one of us. God intends for every single one of us to be entirely sanctified by his Spirit. That's what God wants for you this morning. But to you, God's asking, will you come and humble yourself before me? Are you tired of breaking your back? Are you tired of growing frustrated this morning? Will you allow me to do that? I'm going to ask you to stand with me and, and, and bow your heads and close your eyes. And Pastor Nathan and Brandon are going to come. And as we close today, as I've been praying for this sermon, I've been, I've been thinking about this. I believe that there's someone here who's sick and tired and frustrated of living their life, breaking their back day in and day out, working hard to love, working hard to be Christ-like, working hard of their own strength to get over that sin, to get over that addiction. You're growing frustrated. And I believe that God's saying to you, will you let me help? I believe that God's saying to you, why don't you just humble yourself before me and allow me to fill you with my Holy Spirit? Will you let me sanctify you entirely this morning? So if that sounds like you, if you're breaking your back, you're sick and tired of living life of your own strength and you wanna come this morning and say, God, I'm humbling myself before you, not of my strength, not of yours. 
fill me with your spirit, God. I can't live like this anymore. If that sounds like you, while Pastor Nathan sings, will you come this morning?